Hi, my name is David Siegler and welcome to my podcast. Hi everyone, welcome to this brand new episode of the podcast and um, I'm trying something a bit different. I am, it's, it's very late in the evening, really, really late. I've never done a podcast recording really late in the evening like this. It's, um, it's, a different, it's a different feel. You know, I'm kind of mellow. I'm really quite relaxed. You know, I'm not... You know, I'm completely compassmented, so I'm with it, right? But it's just kind of cool. It feels like I'm the only person awake in the town. I mean, listen, listen, listen. Did you hear that? Nothing. There's nothing out there. Just me. Just me and you listening. Uh, you listening to me uh, putting this podcast episode together. And the reason I'm doing it so late in the evening is because I've just had a, an exchange of messages with somebody I'm working with. And there's a rec- sort of a recurring theme coming through. And I was inspired to get hold of the mic and just talk to you about it. So um, I'm going to do that. But before we go any further, how are you? How's it going? I mean, 2019. You know, we're uh, a couple of weeks into it now. By the time you hear this, we'll be a couple of weeks into it. Um, how's it How's it panning out? You know, I get it, 2019, January, New Year resolutions. It's a clean slate, brand new start, all the things that you know you should have done last year and you promised you do last year and you didn't do, you promised you were going to do in 2019. Have you stumbled? Are you on it? Now, for me, I, I used to, years ago, I used to, I used to, <laughs> for several years, I had the same uh, promises to myself. And when I was a young man, and we're going back a little way now, I remember what they were because I was concerned about two things above anything else. The only two things important in my life were my weight and my golf handicap. And I sort of promised myself every year that I would get my uh, weight below 12 stone and my handicap below 12 handicap. And uh, I never really made it. Uh, The handicap came down. But um, the weight thing never never really made it. And I forgot about all that. And um, now if I'm on just between you and me, you know, there's no one else listening to this, just you and me. If I'm honest, sitting here today in my um, underwear and stocking feet, I weigh something over 14 stone, and my handicap, my golf handicap, 17. And then when did that happen? How did I must write an indignant email to the golf club, getting them to put my handicap back to 10, where it deserves to be. Um, so what about your promises to you? How's that gone? You've broken some, you've stuck to some. Now, all the four o'clock, 4 a.m. club out there, you're still getting up at four o'clock? Really? Are you? Did you did it slip a bit over the weekend, hit the snooze button? I don't know. You know, maybe that's a good thing. Uh, don't want to be too hard on yourself. And uh, I went out earlier this evening uh, before I got inspired to come and talk to you. Uh, for my little constitutional, I like to do my 10,000 steps. You know, and that's serious, actually. I've got my Fitbit thing. I like to do my 10,000 steps a day. And I was out there stepping away, and um, I never saw you. All you guys who are going to lose weight, get fit. There was nobody out there. I saw one gentleman in sort of an orange 
lycra thingy. Um, he was puffing and panting his way past me. But, you know, all the keep fit dudes, where are they? Obviously don't work in the evening. So um, all I'm going to say to you is, New Year resolutions, keep on it, keep at it. A New Year's resolution is not just for the new year. You know, you have to do it all the year. Otherwise, little incremental improvements. Now, I've got to tidy my own house up on this. You know, the 14 stone thing. Got to do something about that. So, uh, no, I'm not making any public promises. I'm not. But, um, you know, we'll just be a little bit selective. Now the last of the mince pies has gone. So, two weeks in, property. What's this about? So, you see, the title is about distressed sellers. Distressed, motivated sellers. That's what we're taught. We need those people. We need those people in our lives because from distressed sellers, motivated sellers, you get a deal. It's a good thing. So, distressed, motivated sellers, is it a good thing? Not always. Not always a good thing. And um, three of my mentees, well, two mentees and somebody else that I've been working with, um, have come to me one after another, bang, 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 since the new year. They've bumped into people and they're really, really excited. Potentially distressed vendors, Really, really excited. David is a deal. Portfolio landlord, David. I found a portfolio landlord. You know, it's all in the press, tired landlords, all that sort of thing. They want to get out. They want to get out. Um, I've found one. What do I do with it? Well, tell me more. And I'm going to give you the generic story. I'm not going to pick on one particular case study, but they're very similar. Okay. So I'm going to give you a generic story. So here's the thing. Um, yes, found them through an estate agent. Uh, this typically through an estate agent, been on the market for over a year. Loads of viewings, loads of offers, uh, but the landlord won't accept the uh, the low offers, a BMV offer. They won't accept it. So how do we move it forward? What is the issue here? What's going on? And um, if you get a scenario where it's, you've got a landlord with four, six, eight, 15 houses, and uh, they've been on the market for over a year and you've got lots of viewings and you're getting reduced offers and they're being rejected. We've got to ask ourselves, how distressed, how motivated is the um, vendor? How desperate are they to sell? We've got all these good earnest people coming around making them offers. Um, and here's the thing. David, I mooted the lease, op uh, lease option opportunity. You know, maybe I could take it on the lease option. Maybe I could do rent to rent. I, I was going to talk to him about assisted sales. What do you think? What do you think? I said, well, tell me a little bit more. What's the condition of the properties? Are they in good condition? He said, well, it's funny you say that because um, all the, the details, all the particulars from the estate agent say they're in good condition. But actually, you know, they're a little bit run down, a little bit scruffy. Most of them are rented, right? They're all buy to let properties they are and most of them are occupied and that's cool um but how do i move this forward you know i found a distressed seller how do i get the deal okay so there's some questions here but in the back of my mind team you guys listening out there to this my mind's worrying because i've come across this before and i have suspicion uh bubbling away in the back of my mind i'm not sure everything is as it's seen so something we need to do if we've got a landlord with 8, 10, 15 houses on the market, I want to know the addresses and I want to know who the lender is. Why? 
And how am I going to find out? Okay, how do you find out? Do the second one first. That's very simple. You can Once you've got the addresses, you can go to Lamb Registry, uh, do a search for £3. And it's worth £3 to work out uh, if you've got a potential deal here or if you're going to be chasing your tail for six weeks until it all evaporates, right? So uh, I wouldn't suggest doing all 8, 10, or 15, but pick three or four addresses. Go on to Lamb Registry, play up £3 on each, maybe 12 quid in total, and see who the lenders are. Very, very important. Also, get on right move. When did the distressed vendor actually buy the properties? You know, he might have had them for years. He might have loads of capital growth in them. He might. Or did he buy them in the boom times, the boom years of 2005, 6, 7? Uh, and in 2005, 6, 7, the world was a very, very different place. But if he bought them in 2005, 6, 7, uh, there's, there's all sorts of potential we need to look out for here that might guide us to the opportunity or, or get us to the position to say, do you know what? There isn't an opportunity. So we need to know a little bit more. And we need to know how long the mortgage term is. Well, we can take an educated guess at that. Um, so let's go back to the beginning. Who's the lender? Who are the lender? Why am I asking you? Because back in 2005, 6, 7, some of you may know, some of you may not, the world was a very different place. And uh, finance was abundant. You could, If you could mist up a mirror, you could get a buy-to-let mortgage on the phone. I did it. I did it on the phone. And there were specialist lenders who uh, would basically lend 100% of the value of an investment property. Uh, now, that was the bottom line, but there was quite a um, convoluted process uh, that the solicitors had to do to get to that point. So it was called the Day One Remortgage, and what it gave um, investors the opportunity to do at that time is to buy money, buy houses, forgive me, with no money, no money at all. So you could borrow 100% of the purchase price of the house. Sometimes you could borrow more. So if you were getting a house with a genuine discount, sometimes you could get the uh, day one remortgage, as it was called in inverted commas, um, funds released based on the value of the house, not the purchase price of the house. What do I mean? Okay, let's put some figures to it. Let's say the house was worth 100 grand. Now, in today's world, you know, if it's worth 100 grand, it values up to the lender at 100 grand. The most you can borrow is 75 grand. And that's how we roll on a buy-to-let mortgage, right? Now, there's some lenders might lend you a few bob more, but most of them, 20, 25% deposit is what you need. So you're going to have to borrow 70 to 80 grand, okay? 75 to 80 grand. Now, back in the day, what you did, and it all happened on the same day and the same time, was then you could take a day one remortgage uh, and borrow 100 grand. So you're buying a hundred grand house and you might be getting it for £90,000, say. But if it's worth a hundred grand, you could borrow a hundred grand. So not only did you buy the house, a 90 grand house for a hundred grand, you can actually take money back out. You got cash out at the back end. I had friends in the industry at this time, not me. I never got involved in this. We always put our deposits in. But I had friends in the industry who basically use the process to fund their lifestyle. 
So they were buying three or four houses a month. They were releasing funds of 10, 15 grand per property. That's what, 40 to 60 grand a month if you could do four a month, right? And uh, that's what they were living them living on. And, and, you know, there was money everywhere. They didn't even focus on renting the properties. Um, one friend of mine had 73, I'm just remembering the figures, get it absolutely right for you, 73 properties, most of which, not all, but most of which were bought with this process. And uh, along the way, he had 17 of those houses that were unlet and unlettable. They were not in rentable condition, right? He needed to spend a lot of money to bring them up to them and put them in good lettable condition. That's what any responsible landlord would have done, right? And that's what we do today. But he'd spent the money. He had a Range Rover. He had other stuff. Uh, he spent it on his own home, right? And, and this sort of stuff, I know it sounds absurd and it's unbelievable in 2019 to be talking about this, but this is the sort of stuff that happens. So why is that relevant? So what I'm suspecting, but I don't know, is that when you find a distressed vendor, a vendor who desperately wants to sell, um, that's all well and good, but maybe he can't sell because he can't afford to sell. What do I mean? What do I mean is he's borrowed 100 grand on a property that was worth 100 grand back in 2006, 2007, towards the top of the market. In certain parts of the country today, certainly in the north and northwest of England, northeast of England, that house may only be worth £100,000 again. So it went down in the crash, and it's come back and just about got to 2007 levels. So he's got a hundred grand house, and he's got a hundred grand finance on it. Uh, and that was, what, 14, 15 years ago, maybe now? So he might have a redemption of his mortgage coming up on the horizon. We might be, we might be able to see the day where he's got to pay the money back to the lender. Here's the thing. Uh, he hasn't got the money. He can't repay the lender because that house, even if it's worth a hundred grand today, you and I know that investors cannot raise a hundred grand on that house with a buy-to-let mortgage. The most we're going to be able to raise probably is eighty, possibly seventy-five. So there's going to be a shortfall. Uh, and if he sells, if because you, you're going to, if he tries to remortgage that house. Uh, and he pulls out 75, 80 grand with a new lender, he can't pay off the original lender because the original loan's 100 grand. I'm sure this is clearer than it sounds in my head. I'm just sort of dribbling it into the microphone, but you get where I'm coming from. Okay, so unless he's got 25 grand cash to make up the difference between 75 and 100 grand, he cannot remortgage that house because the original lender is going to want 100 grand back. So he can't afford to keep the house because he's got the end of his buy-to-let mortgage zooming up on him. You know, 12, 18 months goes by in a twinkle, in a flash, you know, when you're worried about it. Um, so what's the, what's the alternative? He's going to have to sell. But here's the thing, earnest steel packages that you are, if you know a house is worth 100 grand, you don't want to spend 100 grand on it. You want a deal. At the very least, you want... You know, you go into an estate agent, you can get 7 to 10% discount, even to, especially in today's market where there might be a slight pause in what's going on. You can get 7 to 10% discount, 93, 90,000 for a 100 grand house, and you're going to offer that. So he's, if he accepts your offer, he's still got a shortfall. And uh, if he's got 8, 10, 12, 15 of these houses, 
and he's got eight, ten grand shortfall on each, it's starting to get really expensive. And he may well not have the funds to pay off the mortgage because don't forget the, the mortgage company wants a hundred grand. And if you start agreeing sales at 93, where's the other seven grand going to come from? Then mind legal fees and all the other costs of the transaction, right? So when I get um, a mentee come to me and say, oh, David, I found a distressed vendor, motivated. So he's really motivated. He wants to sell, but he won't, he won't reduce the price. Immediately alarm bells are ringing in my head. Now, remember those uh, land registry searches to find out which mortgage provider and lent the money. So if it is one of those lenders who specialise in the day one remortgages back in the day, then alarm bells need to ring. And they need to ring because those lenders are no longer actively lending in the market. And they've probably, in most cases, I believe they have sold on their mortgage books to different companies who are not mortgage providers. They are basically, basically trying to collect in as much money from the mortgagees as possible. That's what they're trying to do. So maybe they've spent, they bought the mortgage book of um, AA Lending Company and they might have spent, um, I don't know, 15p in the pound. They might have bought the whole book for 15, 20p in the pound. I don't know what the real figures are, but probably not far off, right? If they've spent 15p in the pound to buy up the mortgage book from uh, the mortgage company that doesn't want to do mortgages anymore, and then the, uh, the new company can get in 50p in the pound uh, by coming to the end of mortgages, seeking repayments, chasing um, reluctant investors who have not been paying their mortgages on time, all of that sort of thing. So if they pay 15%, they get 50% back in. That's a thumping great profit, right? That's what's going on in the industry today. So if you think you've found a distressed seller, look for the signs that he's not quite as pliant and malleable as you think he was going to be. So if he won't move on his price, there's an alarm bell ringing there. Um, you cannot use the more creative strategies with a vendor like that. You can't because he's not in a position or she's not in a position to accept a lease option or an assisted sale or a rent-to-rent -rent situation. Why? Because if they're coming to the end of their mortgage, the mortgage company, whoever it is, probably a new company now, wants all their money back. They want it all, and they want it now. They don't want it in five years when you exercise a, an option to buy. They want it now. They want it today. So there, all this is, in general terms, just sort of telescoping out of the specific, is this is still the financial crisis of 2008 unwinding itself because... In normal circumstances, a lot of people were in a lot of trouble back in 2008 after uh, Lehman Brothers closed, after the whole crash started. And um, I actually went to a meeting. Uh, I was not the prime person in the meeting, but I was invited to attend a meeting at uh, a big building society in the north of England. I was sitting in their headquarters. Um, they, they're not actually functioning anymore, I believe. And um, while we were sitting there, these two young men walked in with a huge box of keys. Like it took two, like a coffin, a mini coffin of keys. Took two of them to carry it, put it on the desk, and they said to the guy at reception, "Those are all yours. We've had enough. We're off." Right. 
And this is what was going on back in 2008. You know, and we forget, or maybe you don't even know, you know, if you came to property 2014, 2015 onwards, you might not even know this was happening. So apparently in that box, there were the keys to 100 mortgaged properties. And the mortgage company did not even know which set of keys, they weren't even labelled, which set of keys open which property. So what they meant, but before they could go any further at all, they, they had to secure the houses, right? So they had to pay a locksmith to go around to 100 properties and change the locks on 100 properties so they could get access and they knew where, which keys were which. I mean, there's a cost there. Who knows what that's going to cost? You, you're in as good a position to judge as I am. So all of this was going on. And um, what saved so many people um, was the way interest rates were reduced to half a percent. Uh, the base rate of half a percent, historically, completely a precedent, never seen anything like it before, but it was done to keep everybody upright and standing, at least functioning. And how brittle everybody's portfolio, no, when I say everybody, I say people who set up their portfolios wrongly, and there's a lot of them, you know, in 2004, 5, 6, 7, when money was so plentiful, there are a lot of people who's still in the game, who still have houses from that period, who still are only in business by virtue of the fact that the Bank of England base rate came down from 5.5% to half a percent over a period of time. 1.5% on one day they cut it. Unthinkable now. They sort of mess about with quarter of a percent up, quarter of a percent down. 1.5% on one particular day, December the 3rd, 2008. I remember it really, really well. Um, and for many people, that day was key because they were staring, ruin in the face. One of my friends who um, had a big portfolio in uh, West Lanks, West Lanks, it wasn't Blackburn, but it was quite close to Blackburn, had a big portfolio. The day the interest rates come down, he was looking at a deficit of income over expenditure per month of over £40,000. And when interest rates came down, 1.5%, he was then um, in surplus per month of £40,000. I mean, we're talking about a big portfolio, right? Um, so it just saved him. He was booked on the next flight to Venezuela, something like that, you know? Um, so all this is, is the unwinding of the um, effects of the crash that weren't felt back in 2008 because we were protected because the Bank of England, the government, whoever the, whoever's behind all this stuff, brought interest rates down and looked after us. So what's this podcast episode all about? What it's about is, yes, you've got to find motivated sellers. Yes, you've got to find distressed sellers. Yes, you need to serve them. Yes, you need to find a win-win. But maybe they're not looking for a win-win. Maybe they're in a lot of trouble. And uh, maybe they can't afford to hold the property because the mortgage is coming in to an end and they can't remortgage and then they can't afford to sell the properties because if they sell there's going to be a shortfall and they haven't got a cash to make up the shortfall so they can't pay off the bank and the bank won't let it go if they don't pay off the bank so go out and find your distressed vendors absolutely there are some good genuine people out there who are genuine distressed circumstances they're the ones you need to work with the Landlords, the buy-to-let landlords from 2005, 6, 7, the ones that were building a portfolio on the bank's money, look out for them. They are still out there. Um, 
They're, they're, they've been protected for 10, 12 years now because of interest rates. But at some point, they're going to have to step off the merry-go-round and there will be a day of reckoning. I've got very loud. The middle of the night out there. I hope I haven't woken the present Mrs. S or even the neighbours. But uh, I'm going to sign off. I hope you found this helpful. I hope you found it useful. Um, I want to say thank you for listening to my podcast and uh, for all the support and messages I've had. It really means a lot when I get a bit of feedback and say you like some of this stuff. That's cool. I'll keep going. I'll keep trying. I'll keep trying to serve you, help you. Um, This episode has been slightly different and it's been a bit of a warning to you. Be careful out there. It can be a jungle. I'll see you very soon. Thank you for listening. I am David Siegler. See you on the next episode.